Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome to the New Books Network. Is your inbox like mine? If it is, it's stuffed with appeals for donations. There are so many needs out there. The world we live in is badly in need of improvement, that's for sure. Some things can be done best by government, others by private sector, and still others by nonprofit and charitable organizations. Charitable organizations give us the opportunity to participate in making the world a little bit better by feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, providing education, and protecting the vulnerable. When disaster strikes, many people are moved to help by donating money. Seasons also affect the way we give. One analysis found that nearly 30% of charitable giving in the United States takes place during December, coming up very soon. Generosity benefits the giver along with the recipient. Giving to good causes is a way to make one's own life larger and more meaningful. So giving wisely is a win-win activity. Today's guest will help us become more enlightened donors. Welcome to the Van Leer series on ideas. I'm Renee Garfinkel, and it's my pleasure and honor to welcome Arnie Drayman to the show to talk about how to navigate the world of nonprofit and charitable organizations and how to give our charitable dollars where they will do the most good. Arnie heads the Drayman Consulting Group, which advises individual donors family foundations, philanthropists, and charity funds. His insights are based on many years of experience. Arnie Drayman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Renee. Pleasure being here. Arnie, tell us how you got into your career of charity consulting. Very interestingly, I was, uh, I had been living in Israel already, and I was overseas on behalf of the Jewish agency, uh, Shaliach as a uh, emissary in the United States. When I was returning after three years abroad, uh, a friend of mine who had a tzedakah fund, a little charitable uh, uh, piece that he would collect money for other things and then give it out, asked me if uh, I would represent him and help him give his money away here in Israel. Uh, Danny Siegel is his name, very famous uh, 
person within the tzedakah and charitable world. And uh, I started with that very, very, very part-time. I actually come back and started working in high-tech full-time in the 1990s. And uh, over the years, I work a lot less in high-tech and now significantly much more in the nonprofit world. And uh, how has the landscape of philanthropy changed since you began working in the field? Well, it's very interesting. Danny, uh, he's a he's a very creative poet kind of thinker, and uh, he was way ahead of his time. Very few philanthropists had somebody on the ground checking out where their donations were going, how it was being used, making connections with the nonprofits, feeling to be part of their family, the nonprofit family here on on the ground. And so I've seen that that model uh, has really taken off. Certainly in the last 10 to 15 years, almost every uh, family foundation and certainly the larger public foundations, federations, and other philanthropists of, of any size have some sort of representation uh, helping them understand what's going on. So that was one major uh, impact uh, that Danny has led and now we see happening all over. And the second, I think, is that many of the uh, donors are more interested in transparency and due diligence and not just uh, hearing that the place that they're wanting to donate to is doing good work, that they want more than just the the phrase doing good work. They want to really know what's going on behind it. Israel suffered a terrible barbaric attack on October 7th including the kidnapping of some 240 people, more than 30 of them children and infants. People want to help. They want to fight against the terrorists. They want to help the survivors heal and rebuild. And they also want to help the 200,000 internally displaced Israelis who have been evacuated from their homes in both the southern and the northern parts of the country. What advice can you give them about how and where to donate? Um, we can get into specifics later if you wish. In general, and that's probably more important because it's a just a guide to giving, a guide to giving wisely, uh, yes. is um, don't be fooled by the, as you mentioned earlier, all your inbox, your email inbox is flooded with requests. Your postal mailbox is probably still flooded with requests from old school days. Um, don't be fooled by all of those requests. Not everybody is doing what they say they're doing. Not everybody who needs money, actually, who says they need money, actually needs money. Not everybody uh, is a trustworthy partner in, in completing the mission. Sadly, when you donate, you feel good, but you don't know if you're really helping or not. And that's really the the piece of the puzzle that's missing to understand giving wisely. So I, in general, I would avoid, well, again, very, you know, just generalities here, right? In general, I would avoid any of the large organizations, the more, the more famous ones. They tend to be sitting on tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of shekels and not spending it. They're unable to spend that much money. They have very high net cash reserves. They tend to have very high salaries. They tend, they tend to be much more of a, a conglomerate business model and not a gra- grassroots nonprofit. And that's where I would focus my attentions on the small ones, the ones who 
where a hundred shekels or a thousand shekels or ten thousand shekels can make a huge difference to a nonprofit, as opposed to the other ones where they will never notice your contribution, whether you gave it or not. So tell us a little bit about what you look for in order to recommend a charitable organization in general, anywhere. Yeah, right. So again, in general, uh, and it's true in every country, it's nothing to do particularly with Israel. Um, first, I want to know, as I mentioned, what their net cash reserves are. A, by the way, all of the information is public. If you're a nonprofit, you have to file every year with the local authorities. Uh, in Israel, it's the Registrar for Nonprofits in the United States with the IRS. In Canada, it's re with Revenue Canada, etc. And your paperwork is all public. And so the financial report, and it's not hard to read a financial report. I'm not asking anyone to get into the nitty-gritty details of every line item, but there's a, two or three items that you should look at and it should stand out. So one of them is the net cash reserve. So if you take an organization and you see that they're holding on to a hundred million shekels or a hundred million dollars, you need to ask yourself why, and and is that really where I want my contribution to be going? If I give them a contribution of a thousand dollars today, is it going to be used or is it going to go sit in the bank somewhere for a few years or more? I, I, it's just an unknown when, when they're holding significant amounts of uh, cash. Another thing I look at are the salaries. Um, I am not in favor of nonprofit professionals being paid low salaries, but neither am I in favor of them being paid high salaries. Um, I think they should be paid decent living wages. Um, you know, more than teachers and social workers, sadly, always seems to be these are the people at the low end of the scale, but they don't have to be earning salaries that you would earn in high tech. Um, you don't, it shouldn't have to be that way. And so uh, I'm careful about how much money is being spent on administrative and fundraising costs. I, I want to know that as much of my dollar or shekel that I donate is going to the program and not just to overhead costs. Those are the three main things. Yeah. And all that, that information is also public? Salary? It's, all, it's a hunt. The top five salary earners are listed, yes. And honestly, if you are interested in an organization, you can call them and ask for their financial report. It, even though it's online, you can ask. But you can also say, can I have a complete list of your salaries? If they're not willing to be transparent, why? what are they hiding? Um, they, it's a public institution running on public money. It's not a private company where they can do whatever they want privately. It's a public sector company. They're, and, and the government is funding them either directly, a lot of institutions do get government funding, or indirectly by giving me a tax credit when I make a contribution to them. So the, it has to be public information. Uh Give us a sense of the demographics of the giving world. What countries are the most generous? It's a great question. Um, I would, uh, believe it or not, Israel is one of the highest uh, percentage-wise uh, givers. Um, the thing is, though, not everybody gives cash or money, right? A lot of people in Israel give up their time, volunteer time, and a lot of people give items. It is very common for used furniture and used clothing to be donated out. Uh, and by very common, I mean almost seven times as common as it is in the United States uh, and in European countries. So that 
there's a whole giving culture in Israel that uh, puts it way ahead of almost every other Western country. Uh, and then other countries, and a lot of the European countries run on a uh, socialist style system so that a lot of things are more uh, equitable all the way through society. So you don't necessarily see giving as much as the way you see of it in, in the United States or in Canada or in uh, Israel. Are there differences between men and women in the way they give or the amount or to whom they donate? Yes. Uh, the differences also break down, though, according to uh, many factors. So it's very hard to say in general because let's take people aged, uh, I don't know, 50 and older. So in traditional older families, in traditional older couples where the uh, male of the household was the breadwinner, frequently the gifts are either in his name or or in the name as a couple, whereas it's not in her name because, again, you know, traditional uh, family values and old school styling, she didn't have control over any money. She had no income and she was just working, you know, just, I say just. She was creating a house, right? She was creating a household, raising the children, educating them, taking care of everything so that her husband could go to work, you know, on Wall Street or wherever he was working, right? Um, the sacrifices were made on both sides. But in any case, um, only in more recent years do we see in that older age group that there are things like the women's division of the Federation or of almost any overseas nonprofit uh, that they want to get the women involved. And so the women become uh, not necessarily bigger givers, but more active givers. Uh, and I'm guessing that women probably also volunteer more than men do, so giving of their time, especially in that demographic. Correct. That's for sure. Uh, and then the younger ones, you know, uh, college age and, and people in their 20s, it's probably split about even even in terms of the volunteering of their time. Are there any other uh, characteristics of charitable people, personality types, or ethnic demographics? Um, from whatever studies I've looked at, it is interesting that uh, Jews tend to be more charitable uh, than others. However, devout Christians who are faithful and want to give their tithing, their 10%, uh, are very um, careful to make sure that they are regular givers at that 10% level. Um, so, uh, you know, both of those indicate people who are involved in religion to a certain extent are, are, are more likely to be uh, bigger donors or more active. Well, it's good to hear about so much that's positive in uh, humanity. So now let's turn to the dark side. Oh, what no. are... <laughs> what are some of the scams you've seen in charities and nonprofits? Are they hard to spot? I think they're hard to spot for the average person uh, because, again, if a beggar comes to your door, you have no idea what's going on. I've seen beggars here in Jerusalem who, after a hard day's work, go around the corner and drive away in their Mercedes. Um, you know, so is that a scam? I don't know. You know, we would have to define the word scam as well. But if, besides beggars, if you get a solicitation, my oh, big advice: 
never, ever give money over the phone. Never give money blindly in an email or uh, postal mail solicitation. Never. You don't know who the person is. You don't know what's going on. Frequently, many nonprofits use a calling center to call you because they just go through lists of thousands of names hoping to get donations. The call center can take anywhere from 50 to 80% of all donations. So, you know, is that a scam? Well, 20% is going to the nonprofit. And the nonprofit says, what do I care? I'm still getting, you know, my 20%. I would have gotten zero if I didn't do it. So, but as a donor, I think you would be outraged to know that 80% of your money first went to the call center. Then of the 20% left, let's say another 20% of that went to overhead and fundraising costs, right? So very little of your money is actually being used the way you think it is. Um, particular scams include uh, organizations that, again, claim to do something and they're not really doing it. Uh, and you, I, I've seen, sadly, I don't know about many, but handfuls and handfuls over the years. Yeah. Very often, someone who's had experience with a problem, let's say a family member who had cancer, or they read about a terrible natural disaster, they'll be motivated to make a contribution. So why shouldn't they just reach out to, let's say, an organization with the word cancer or cancer research in its name, or, or in the second case, to the Red Cross or a similar organization with disaster response? Because again, you just don't know where your money is going. As I said, you feel good donating. You feel like you've done your thing. Like, you know, you sit at home and you look and you go, what can I do? Yes, I can pray. Yes, I can send thoughts and prayers. But what can I do? You know, if it's not immediate in my neighborhood, if, I'm not, if I can't go out and volunteer or give blankets to homeless people in the winter uh, time, uh, you know, what can I do in Sri Lanka? And what can I do? Uh, for that poor girl with cancer, you know, sitting somewhere far away from me. So you make a donation and then you feel good. I've done what I could, but uh, that's really not sufficient. As I said, it's sad because you think you've done good, but sometimes not good. People, you mentioned the Red Cross. The Red Cross at home, at home, at the, in the United States, uh, sits on thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, millions of dollars that they've collected from every hurricane and every natural disaster that they haven't spent yet. And look at their financial report and see money that was collected years ago and many, many years ago. It's still sitting there. Um, so it's hard to, you know, just give in to your, you know, they pull at your heartstrings in order to donate, but you should be really careful how you donate. The same thing with an organization that has the name cancer or any other kind of disease that we want to help, but it's your responsibility to do the research to make sure that you are helping. Uh, in preparing for this conversation, uh, one scam that came across my uh, came to my attention was uh, that organizations use a similar name to a well-known organization. So, for example, the Make a Wish Foundation, which I think many people have heard of. Uh, there'll be a, a knockoff, unrelated, called Kids Wish Network. Is that something you've seen? It happens a lot, particularly uh, because there are certain buzzwords, keywords. And again, the public isn't as aware. 
So they think it's either all the same. I mean, we I just saw one yesterday. Uh, there's a particular organization in Israel that does uh, some kind of rescue work for uh, people in trouble. And this other organization used the same name but added another a third word to the title. And in the email they sent, they misspelled the word Israel. <laughs> like, like if you're going to run a scam, at least, you know, have spell checker, right? Finally, Arnie, um, we have an international listening audience. Uh, yes. Can you, are you comfortable recommending some effective and transparent charities that you like in the U.S., Israel, and elsewhere? Yes. So it's not always a particular one place because you would have to do all the research in that one place to understand it. But I'll give you an example. There is a 501c3 tax-deductible foundation in the United States called Hot, uh, Hands on Tzedakah. Hands on Tzedakah. And they are basically a foundation that donates to about 40 or 50 other Nonprofit, right? A 501c3 foundation is just a nonprofit. It's the same. It's just most foundations don't actually do activities themselves. They donate to others as opposed to a nonprofit, which is doing the activities themselves. So this foundation, they do all the research. How do I know? Because I work with them. I, I'm their Israeli representative, so I know them very well. For what They've started 21 years ago. I've been with them since day one. We do so much vetting and due diligence and understanding of not just the organization, but also of the people who run the organization. And not just that, but every time that there's a request, we go through questions after questions to make sure that that request is necessary for us to fund. And therefore, donors feel very comfortable donating through an org a foundation, an umbrella foundation like Anvald Sadaka in England. There's one called My Israel, Maidrul does the exact same thing, like Anton Tzedakah, it's based on the same model. Um, and, and those are the kinds of places I would look for where you can trust the, or the foundation that knows how to give out money to nonprofits. Um, but again, even within in the foundation world, there are very few that uh, you can put your money on. Well, you've been extremely helpful. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Arnie. And my helping, pleasure helping us become if, better, more. If effective. anybody, if anybody wants to look me up on Google, just look under Arnie Draymond, D-R-A-I-M-A-N. I'm happy to help answer all questions uh, to help people give money more wisely and effectively. Thanks so much, and thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>